Happy Father's Day! Yes, all the dads, great day to you and to all those people that thought the first three words that are going to come out of my mouth were Bay City Church, good morning. Well, there you have it. Great, I trust you all well today. Uh, we've got a great setup today. We're going to have a little bit of worship together. And then we've got Martin that's going to be uh, preaching to us as we continue our journey through Joshua. And I just want to encourage you now as we've got kind of 10 minutes of worship Link to this video clip. Engage your hearts. I know it's not always easy in a home to sing out loud, but if you are lying in bed, which I'm sure some of you are, and uh, you might be sitting in the lounge, you might be out and about, whatever it is, engage your heart with, with these songs as we kind of worship together, because we can never forget we are a community of the Spirit. We are united by the Spirit, not united because we have a building and we come together and worship and worship together. So, but we can be united in spirit. So I encourage you, engage your hearts and trust you have an incredible Sunday as we get to worship and honor our King together. So bless you. Have a great day.
kids i'm missing you so so much and there's somebody else who's also been missing you let's see who it is <gasps> who is it Whoop. hello 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 h
Hello, 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 everybody. Hello, Humpty Dumpty. Do you remember what happened to his head? He's sitting on a wall and then... <gasps> he hurt his head. Sorry, Humpty. But who's with Humpty today? Who is this? <gasps> this is Baba. Who can tell me what kind of animal is Baba? Let's see. He's got some floppy ears. And he's got some very woolly fur. That's right. He is a little lamb. He's a little sheep. And he's very good friends with Humpty Dumpty. Look, he's staying in his pocket. Now Humpty Dumpty and Baba would love to tell us all about Father's Day today. It's a very, very special day. And they want to tell you about the most perfect, perfect father of all. Do you know who I'm talking about? I am talking about God the Father because He is the most wonderful, wonderful Father in the whole world. He is better than any, any earthly father. He's the best father that anybody could have. And Baba loves listening about God the Father because Baba actually doesn't have his own daddy. He doesn't have a sheep who is his daddy. So sometimes when he goes out into the fields to eat some grass, he gets a little bit scared. Look, he's with all the other sheep. And he gets a little bit scared because sometimes he thinks he'll get lost. But look who's there to look after him. Do you know who this is? This is the Good Shepherd. This is God the Father. And God the Father will never, ever, ever let any of his sheep go astray. He won't let them get lost. He won't let anything happen to them. He'll look after them like they are his own. So Baba never has to worry because he has the best father in the whole world. He has God the Father. If you would like to make a picture like this, all you need is some cardboard, your thumbprints or your fingerprints and some paint or some flour or some maize meal mixed with water and then you can just make the wool of all the sheep with your fingers and then you can use a cokey and crayons to draw and color in and on the top I've written some things about God the Father do you know that God the Father is a wonderful counselor the Ratsman he is the mighty God, the starke God. He is the everlasting Father, the ewige Father. And he is the Prince of Peace, the Friede Force. Let's see if you can remember how to make these. Can you make a heart? The Ratsman, wonderful counselor. Can you make big strong muscles? The mighty God, can you make an infinity sign? Infinity means forever and ever. You see, it's like a sleeping eight. Just an eight who's gone to sleep. And it goes on forever and ever and ever. The everlasting Father. The ewige Father. And... The Prince of Peace, the Friere Force. Let's make a dove. There we go. 
Let's see if we can sing all about the amazing God the Father. And for this, you will need your shakers that you have made. And let's shake. Us Hey, us be beautiful. Come on. I'm so 
God the Father, do you think he's a good daddy if all the sheep are maybe not even listening to them and some of them run away far away from him and some of them eat all the grass and don't leave any grass for the other sheep? Do you think that maybe the good shepherd will still love them? he will even if the sheep go far away from him and the good shepherd has to run 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 and go find him or even if some of the sheep are eating too much grass and the good shepherd has to say slow down leave some for the rest even if these little sheep don't listen to the good shepherd he will always always love them because he is a good good father he's not only one good he's double good he's a good good father. So we are going to need a big scarf for this next song. So get a big scarf or a sheet and you are also going to need some people in your family or a friend to play with you who can hold one side of the scarf and you hold the other side. And if you have more people, someone can hold this side and someone can hold that side. And we are going to have to stand up for this. So everybody stand up with your friends and family and let's get ready to sing. Okay, we are going to shake softly. Shake, shake softly. Oh, 
let's get up. Thank you for singing and playing with me today, boys and girls. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Father's Day. Mwah. Good morning, Bay City Church. It's awesome to be with you guys this morning, even though we're not in person, but to be able to bring the Word of God to you again and um, to be able to do it in this way through a video. I um, hope you guys are keeping well and that even though lockdown has been uh, an intense experience for all of us, I think we've all had many struggles, faced ups and downs during this time. I, I really trust that God has been working in our lives in a very significant way and that also God has been working in us as a church community. Um, not just Bay City Church, but as the church in South Africa and around the world about what it means to be church, what it look like, looks like to be church. And um, taking away our gatherings has maybe, maybe made us rethink a little bit about the significance of the expression of church in our communities, in society around us. Um, one of the things we've um, felt so challenged about and felt encouraged about as well at the same time has been around the, the people in our own community, our own neighbors and the people around us. And it's probably been one of our most consistent prayers since we've moved into this house is that God would give us a witness among our neighbors. And the reality is of the way we used to live is that we would often live past one another in many ways because of just the busyness of life and where we work and where we shop versus where we live and all of these dynamics. And one of the things we've been so blessed by is the way that God has been answering that prayer um, during this lockdown time, because the only people we have contact with are the people in our immediate vicinity, um, our neighbors. And so those relationships have grown and grown. And even when since since the easing, when we've been able to walk more, um, just, you know, bumping into people in the street and just having conversations, obviously keeping proper social distance, keeping our masks on and all of that, but being able to meet other people in our immediate community and just continuing to pray that God would use us to be a light into those people's lives. And I really believe there's been a shifting um, in our thinking, in my thinking, and just as I've been praying for that for, for many years already, but just an awareness again of what is it that God has called us as his church to, to look like in the world, to be the salt and the light in the world. What does that look like? And maybe when we huddle together in gatherings all the time, we find it very comfortable to say that we've done our religious duty, as it were. We've, we've gathered, we've done our thing. And so we can kind of maybe check off that on our, on our mental block and we feel as though we can, our conscience is kind of okay, although we really do know that God is actually calling us to more. He's calling us to being far more tangible in our communities. I've also seen incredible things um, just um, all around. I mean, I know what Bay is busy doing in terms of feeding people um, through Siakula, which is incredible. And some of you might not know that there's many other churches that God is doing the same thing. So it's not just something God's just doing with Bay. It's something God is doing with his church and, and bringing his church out into the community in ways in which maybe we've not been in the past. And so that is incredibly exciting. It's incredibly exciting to see what God has done through Siakula and through Sozo and through other ministries in Bay and to see that same thing happening in other churches all around um, the city and around our country. And I really believe there's a shift. There's a move that God is busy making in his church and he's making in my heart, and I hope that he's making it in your heart in terms of what does church really look like? What does it really look like to obey Jesus and to follow him? And so we are looking at the book of Joshua, and we're looking at what this book is about, which is 
the people of God, as they've been called by God, as they've been set apart by God, the children of Abraham, the children of the promise, as they now come into the promise, they come into the land which God had promised them many hundreds of years ago, and they begin to lay hold of the land. And we see a couple of significant things in the story. The most significant is that we realize that for the people to lay hold of the promised land, the land that they have longed for, desired for, that God has spoken over them, that they have to join with God in the battle. And they have to join with God in faith. It's not by power or by might. It's not by them using equal amount of force as to the, what they would see from the enemy around them. So we see that in the story of Jericho. It's not a, 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 a matter of how much power they can bring out of themselves to lay hold of the land. But they have to join with God. They have to co-mission with God. And they have to work with God. But their biggest part that they play in this is to have absolute faith in the word that God has spoken. And here we see what that looks like. Is that faith does not mean passively sitting or engaging in some necessarily spiritual activity. But it means actually stepping into a place of battle. Going into a place where where we where faith, where God, what God has said has to now happen or otherwise we are left in the lurch and so we have to actually step into that place step into that unknown and that's what we see happening for the people of israel as they lay hold of the land and i want to just jump into the story here um sheldon asked me to preach and i was looking through you know the sections that have been preached on already and and i just can't get away from this particular passage and how it's standing out to me from um, joshua chapter 5 and i'm going to read from verse 8 and it's just a few really simple principles that i feel God is highlighting um, in this passage. So Joshua chapter 5 verse 8, they are preparing to take Jericho. The um, spies have already gone. Rahab has already um, helped them and it's they've seen the land and now it's time for them to put their faith into action in the way that God is going to command them. And they're preparing for that. And the way they prepare, first of all, is that all of the nation gets circumcised. The, the, the people who were in the desert, who had um, been born in the desert or who were children when the first, um, the first group um, failed to lay hold of the land and those men died in the wilderness, the next generation were not circumcised. So now they're circumcised. And it says in verse 8, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day, which just means to roll away. Powerful statement. Um, there's a couple of powerful things that happen in this just this short passage, and I'm not going to go into all of these, but um, someone else maybe wants to pick up on these in a future message. But here, although they've been removed from Egypt, although they've seen Egypt destroyed, they saw that happen, they've never had contact with Egypt again, this past of theirs as being slaves, this past somehow was still haunting their thoughts and their identity in some way. And this moment of their circumcision is the moment where God rolls away the reproach. He rolls away their shame. He takes it away from them so that they are no longer in their own minds or in the minds of other people associated with being a slave nation. They are now a different nation. They are now a nation of conquerors, a nation who are able to lay hold of the things of God. So that is the first thing that happens. And while the sons 
um, of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day of the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened breads, cakes, and parched grain. The manna ceased on that day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land. So the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. And it's interesting that the writer wants to emphasize this, says it three times. The manna ceased, they ate from the land. The manna ceased, they ate from the land. They ate from the land. Trying to emphasize they are now in the land. They are now in the promise. They're eating from the very promise God had spoken. Now, significant things have shifted. They are no longer a slave nation who are wandering through a desert. They are now the nation who is actually eating from the land. They are now in the promise of God. They are now laying hold of the things of God. Their identity is now being confirmed. God has already given them a new identity, but now they're actually understanding it. They're now actually experiencing and walking in it. And now they're about... To go and fight the first major battle of the conquest. They've already fought some battles, but this is the first major conquest battle. Jericho is a, a bastion of Canaanite culture at that time and of the land and of the way that the Canaanites were able to dominate the land and their evil practices, which involved um, violence against people. And um, Jericho was a symbol of that, and they, its walls was a symbol of that because the people of Jericho could go and can go and inflict pain upon other people and rush back to their city and find safety in their walls and continue with their evil practices that they did behind those walls. And here they come against this nation. So now is the passage. Here's the bit that I want to focus on this morning. Um, when it came about, sorry, now it came about when Joshua <clears throat> was at Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He, he said, the, the man answered, No, rather I indeed now come as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. So I want to just look at these um, few verses and speak about what God is busy saying and doing in our midst in terms of preparation, in terms of laying hold of his promises, in terms of walking into the revival that he's promised. Because I believe that sometimes we think that a revival is something that's going to happen to us when it's actually something we are going to co-mission with God. And God is most likely waiting for us to join him. And instead of us sitting, sitting and waiting for God to bring about some form of revival. And so let's just look at this passage. And, and I, I want to entitle this, The Moment That um, Yeshua Meets Yeshua. Because we know Joshua, his name in, in Hebrew is Yeshua, and we know that Jesus' name is the same name. It's the name Yeshua. And I believe in this moment, Joshua is meeting not an angel, but Jesus himself. And there's a couple of reasons why I believe that to be the case. And I want to just mention them so that we're on the same page as far as this is concerned. Some um, you know, scholars, some commentaries, they would not make that point. They would say this is an angel. Um, I do believe there's enough evidence here for us to say that this is actually Jesus Christ. 
the first point of evidence for me is the fact that he is revealed as a man. Um, and most of the time in the biblical text, when it is an angel, it actually uses the term messenger or angel, not the term man. And the two significant other times when we know Christ was revealed as a man to patriarchs in the past was Abraham saw Christ as a man. And we know about Jacob who wrestled with the man who was Jesus Christ. And so again here, this, per, this, this revelation is of a person because the way that Joshua approaches him initially is not that this is some angelic being that he's seeing, but he's seeing a man holding a sword. And he approaches that man as he would an any human being. So that is what is significant here because angels are never revealed to us in the scripture as human beings as such. There are maybe some cases where you could make that argument, but in this particular way, it's usually Christ that is being revealed. The other thing that is significant is that it says that the place where you're standing, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. We know the other time when, when this happened is was when Moses met God at the burning bush and it was him encountering Yahweh. And so I don't believe this kind of language would be applied to an angel. This language is only fitting for God himself, that the place where you're standing is holy. But look at the description as well of this man. He is standing with a sword in his hand and he is, says he's the captain of the host of the Lord. In other words, he is the commander of the armies of God and he has now come into this moment. And to me, this language is indicative of the language, the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. So let's jump there quickly to Revelation chapter 19. Um, when Christ is revealed in Revelation chapter 19, it says, And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he is the name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on their white horses. So we see the picture of Christ as the commander of the armies. He is leading out the armies on his horse and we see as well, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron, a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. If you want to scare yourself, go and read the, the imagery of the winepress of God's wrath in the book of Revelation. If you think there is no such thing as judgment on the earth and coming judgment, then you need to go and read about God's winepress of wrath because it's a serious matter to fall into the hands of God. And here Jesus is portrayed as this leader of the armies of God. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. Obviously in Joshua, the sword is in the hand. But I think it would have been very weird as a, as a depiction of, a, of a, in the natural realm. Because this is symbolic um, language in the natural realm to see him with an, a sword in his mouth. Joshua saw him with a sword in his hand, a sword drawn. And he leads the armies of God. And so this picture for me is what confirms to me that what we're seeing in Joshua is in fact Jesus Christ. It's Yeshua meeting Yeshua in this decisive moment before Israel are going into the battle of Jericho. And there's a couple of points here in Revelation that also really relate um, very closely to the story um, in Joshua. Because Israel in that moment are coming to be used by God to bring judgment upon the Canaanites. 
God is using Israel to exact his judgment upon 400 years of Canaanite sin. More than that, really, but for 400 years, God has given them time to repent of their sin. And their sin was great. And we can read about their sin. Um, some of the sins, you know, some of, them, some of them are too disgusting even that you, want to don't, you don't even want to mention them um, out loud. But probably the worst sin that they were practicing um, was the sin of sacrificing their children to the god Molech. They would kill their children in worship to their um, false demonic gods. And many other forms of violence were part of Canaanite culture and society. And so this was not a culture where violence was isolated, where violence was um, you know, something that was frowned upon and we want to stamp it out. There's violence in our society, we know, but it's wrong and we want to stamp it out. That's what we would describe South Africa as. We say, this is a country of violence, but the, the, the majority of people know that violence is wrong and we want to get rid of the violence against women and children and, and all violence against people in our nation. But there's a problem of violence in our nation. That was not what it was like in Canaan. In Canaan, violence was the order of the day. Now, you could make some arguments, though, that especially in regards to child sacrifice, that that kind of violence is prevalent in our society today, all over the world. Now, I'm not going to go into an argument about that, but I do believe we need to look very carefully at ourselves as a society and look at the kind of violence that is happening, occurring in our society time and time again. And the danger is that we look at one form of violence at the exclusion of another. And then we can easily set up straw men and say, these people are, the, are at fault, the, the police are at fault. They're the evil ones. We could make that kind of statement. They are definitely evil policemen. But we must look rather at ourselves as a society and look at the violence that is prevalent in our society at this moment in time. And here, in the book of Joshua, um, let's jump back to Joshua. Um, in this moment, the commander of the Lord's armies, Jesus is coming to fight with Israel to bring God's judgment on the Canaanites' continued violence and idolatry and rebellion towards God. This is a reality that is happening in this moment. But there's also another reality happening in that he's also coming to establish a purpose of God in that land through the nation of Israel. And this brings me to sort of the main point of this message is looking at the language that is used here, which is really startling language if you follow the story so far, because everything so far in the story has told us that God is working um, through Abraham's seed. God is working through Israel as a nation. God is working through this people. And God has even said to Joshua in chapter one, he said to him, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I'm in this with you. Yet, when Joshua confronts this man, who he at this point doesn't know who he is, he asks him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And notice Jesus' answer to him. His answer to him is, no, I'm neither for you nor for your adversaries. Rather, I come as the captain of the host of the Lord. And so there is a shift that's happening in the mind of Joshua. And there's a shift that needs to happen in our minds and to understand that even though God is working out his purposes in and through us, and he has specific purposes in my life and in your life and in our nation and in people groups, 
and in our city, there's specific purposes of God that he is working out and we become part of that purpose and we play a role in that purpose that we must not forget or we must not begin to think that the purposes of God that he has for me, those are the most important things. Actually, actually what is important is for me to join with the purposes of God that are bigger than the things that are happening necessarily personally in my life. So let's look at those words again. He says, no, rather I indeed now come, come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. So Jesus comes into this moment. He's coming to bring God's judgment on Canaan. And he's coming to also bring the people of Israel into the land, to settle them in the land, into this particular place. He says this place is holy. The place is holy because Jesus is standing there. But the place is also holy. It's significant because Jesus has chosen this place for the place into which he will establish a people. And in the future, he himself will come and actually save the world from this place, from Israel, from Judah, from Jerusalem. He will come and bring salvation to the world. So the place is holy. The place is very significant. But in all of the dealings of Israel and all of the things that God is doing with Israel as a nation and all the good things, all the blessings, all of the ways in God, which God is working with them, there is always a bigger picture. There is always a bigger plan. And I want to say to you today and say to us in Cape Town, because I believe God has spoken specific words over Cape Town, specific words over South Africa and over the places that we live in. I want to say to us that I believe these are the places God has placed us. They are holy in the very sense that the gospel has told us that we carry Jesus within us. We carry the spirit of God within us. And so as we walk into places, as we walk into our neighborhoods, into our communities, we might look at them in, an, in the natural and assess them in the natural and think, this is what our community looks like. This is the problems it faces and all of these things that we can see in the natural and we can see the barriers people put up in the natural. But we need to have a different mindset to say this place is holy because Christ is here because Christ is in me. I'm not boasting about it. It's not, nothing I've done. I haven't earned this right for Christ to be in me. It's what the gospel tells me that once I accept Jesus Christ, once I believe in who he is, he comes to live inside of me and we need to have this mindset that the places in which God has put us, these places are holy for his purposes. But we need to understand as well that God's purposes with me as an individual, what God is busy working out in my life as an individual. Sometimes we can get disappointed with the things that happen in our life and the way things work out in our life because we are not fully in tune with God's greater purpose and God's greater plan. And so we, have, we get set on our own plans and we think God is in these plans. But we forget that actually God's plans are bigger. And so when we ask Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, we say to him, Jesus, are you for me or are you for the, my adversaries? And Jesus says, no. No, I'm for my plans. And that's what's happened in the world today. If we look at what is happening, not just in South Africa, but around the world, we look at the messages that we're receiving, even from America. It's all about us and them. It's all about setting up divisions between people and saying, you're in this camp and I'm in that camp. And so then I pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you for my camp? And I'm going to tell you now, Jesus is going to tell you his answer to that question. He says, no, he's not for your camp. He is for his purposes in the world, which are eternal purposes, 
which are bigger than me and they're bigger than you. They're bigger than Bay City Church. They're bigger than Cape Town. They are eternal, everlasting kingdom of God purposes. And unless we get on board with the purposes of God, we are going to get confused with the messages we receive around from the world around us. People speaking into our lives, all sorts of messages about which camps we must be in or not be in, what kind of messages we should be speaking. We should get confused about these things and we will lose sight of the kingdom of God and the purposes of God in this world. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I believe God is speaking to us in this way. And in a sense, this message that Jesus is speaking here to Joshua is a message that speaks directly to us is that as I approach Jesus and I would say to him, are you for me or against me? And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Are you for me or against me? That's the question. The question is not whether Jesus is for me. The question is whether or not I am for Jesus. Am I in line fully, completely with Jesus's lordship over this world? over every aspect of this world, over the economies of this world, over the systems of this world, over the society and the structure of society in this world. Not just my heart, not just my personal feelings, but that Jesus is Lord of all and he's coming to be Lord of all. Am I in line with that? Am I united to him as Lord? And have I laid aside all my other personal agendas and saying these things are secondary they're not unimportant to God. They're not that God doesn't care about my things, but they are secondary to the kingdom of God and the lordship of Christ and the purposes he is unfolding in the world right now. I think that is the question that Jesus is putting to each one of us as we want to lay hold of the promised land. As we want to step into the things of God, the very first thing we need to make absolutely certain of is that Christ is the center. He is the Lord. He is the absolute focal point and all of us are uniting to Christ and he's the only one who sets the agenda and I don't get to set the agenda for this moment in history and in time um, or any moment for that matter. And so these words remind me of the words Jesus spoke to Joshua a little bit earlier. Um, I'm going to jump to Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. These words have spoken to me so much recently as I've read this verse over and over and over again. Um, such a simple statement. Um, God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? It sounds, these words sound so similar to me to uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go and do, I'm going with you. I've given you a command. Go and do what I've called you to do. And this is the words he speaks to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? So the question that Jesus poses to each one of us is, have I not commanded you? Have I not already given you instruction for the kingdom of God? That the way in which you are going to be part of the kingdom of God, have I not already instructed you? And why are you maybe not doing what I've already instructed you to do. Because what Jesus instructs us to do is going to require courage and strength. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be dismayed. We don't have to get discouraged because he is with us wherever we go. And so I want to just leave these two thoughts with you. If I look at this statement, have I not commanded you? I really think that two things come to mind more than anything else. It's the great 
commandment and the great commission. I think those are the two things that Jesus has most clearly emphasized in his ministry and in what he has given to his disciples is the great commandment to love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I find it interesting in the world today with what is happening and the shifts that is taking place that the enemy is incredibly subtle in the way in which he deceives people because he will not deceive us um, if he comes absolutely full frontal attack and he just makes it very obvious. So he has very subtle in his scheme. So I've heard this message, for example, um, in the world today, that a lot of Christians are in danger of jumping onto the bandwagon of this message. And the message has been this, don't love God, love people. Don't love God, love people. That's the message. It's very subtle in the world. So it's all about loving people, but we do not want to regard God or his principles or what he says. We want to only regard people. And it's a very dangerous message because the message Jesus spoke was a message to first love God. First put all your allegiance, all of your heart to be completely aligned with Jesus Christ and to be completely united to him. And as you unite to Christ, if all of us unite to Christ, I will realize very quickly that there's someone next to me who also unites to Christ. But you know what? They are not like me. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They may be a different race. They may be... But but now I'm united to Christ and this person is also united to Christ and now it becomes very obvious what I need to do. I need to love this person and I can only love the people who are right there with me. I, I can tangibly love the people God puts around me and time and time um, church we have heard the call from the leadership of the church to look for ways during this time that we can love other people in the church and I want to encourage you to do that and when I say this I'm not talking about just thoughts. I'm talking about actions that express the love of God um, through supporting people, through giving to people, through feeding people, through coming alongside people, through now in this time as the economy reopens up, finding ways to create jobs for people. Whatever it is that God is saying to us that we're going to have to step into by faith, we're going to have to step into that by faith because we love God and we love people. But do not get caught by this message that is out in the world that is being proclaimed loudly, especially by the mainstream media and by um, celebrities, which says, hate God, love people. Do not be caught by that message because we first love Jesus. And out of that flows our love for one another. There is no way, my friends, I want to say this to you, we can do all the fake grandstanding that is being done by so many people, but there is no way to truly love your neighbor unless you have love for God. Only God can give you the love that you need to love your neighbor. But also, the converse is true. I cannot say that I love God, but I care nothing for my neighbor. I, can, I do not care for their needs and where they're at and I'm not concerned about them. And this begins within the house of God. This begins within the church, in the family of God. Those who are in need within the church and then it spreads out from there. It becomes a ripple effect into the nations. And it's incredible to see how God is busy doing that through Siakula already. It's busy spreading out as a ripple effect of the righteousness, the justice of God spreading into our communities as we love God, as we pursue God with all our hearts. And then we realize, yes, there's people next to me who, who I need to love. And as I love them, it spreads further into the community and we begin to see the kingdom of God breaking out into this world. And then the second command is to, is the great commission. It is to actually 
make disciples. Because the greatest love I can show to anybody is to share with them this incredible gift that I have received of the salvation and the restoration and the redemption of Jesus Christ, which is a free gift. It's available to anybody who believes. And I could not love somebody. I cannot care about somebody if I do not have some desire in me to share this message with them. And so it's my prayer. It is my prayer every day and continues to be my prayer. Lord Jesus, would you give me opportunity to share you, to witness you to the people around me in some way to my neighbors, to this street? Can it be? Can it be that every street in which there is a Christian, that the entire street would hear the message of Jesus Christ? Isn't that revival right there happening in our communities right now during lockdown? Isn't that what revival looks like? That, that it would begin to break out into our communities, into our streets. And so that's the prayer for myself. And I pray that I say, Lord, make me courageous and strong. Give me opportunities. Give me signs, wonders, and miracles. Not for my sake, but for the sake of the revelation of Jesus' name. Because that is our great commission. And we co-mission with God. Just like Joshua and the people, in order to lay hold of the land, they weren't going to just sit back in their camp. They had to actually go out in faith. They had to actually walk in faith. And they co-missioned with the Lord in faith because faith always has an action to it. And so in the same way, Jesus is calling us into a co-mission with him. And he's saying to us, we need to be light in this world. We need to love. We need to love God. We need to love people. And we need to tell people about who Jesus is and about his kingdom. Church, I hope you are blessed. Love you guys. Can't wait for the next time we can be together in person and share fellowship together and worship together. Can't wait for that. But um, pray that God will bless you. And I want to just pray for us right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your revelation throughout scripture of who you are. Lord, thank you that you don't change. You've never changed. Your purposes in this world have always been the same. And you're working them out right now today, Lord. Thank you that your purpose is about your kingdom. It's not just about an isolated salvation that's personal to me, but it's about the kingdom of God breaking into this world and changing this world forever and ever. And I thank you, Lord, that you are busy doing that work and you're calling us to step into that space. You're calling us to move into that space by faith. And so I pray, Lord, for all of us. I pray for myself, first of all, Jesus. Would you cause faith to arise? Would you cause courage to arise for us to step into a place where we love with incredible abandonment and with lavish um, love, Lord, that is not withholding from people, but is giving towards people. Would you cause us to love in that way? And Lord Jesus, would you cause us to share the message of who you are? Would you give us, Lord, signs and wonders, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world, to see who you are, Jesus. We pray that, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed, church. Hope you have an awesome Sunday, and we'll see you guys um, soon.